The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. Uh, it appears the fires have gone out, uh, not just for the New York Islanders, but uh, in much of the uh, Pacific Northwest. Um, thanks to rain there and thanks to some lightning uh, out east. Excellent. Uh, as far as the lightning are concerned, not so much excellent. Uh, I was hoping that they would uh, come back, but two games in a row having to start the overtime period. Although both in both instances, they killed it off. They had in game five, they had two and a half minutes of a four minute double minor left. And in game six, they had three plus minutes of power of penalty kill time and managed to kill off both. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goal that won the series for Tampa Bay was less than ste- goal. less than stellar. It was a garbage goal. Yeah, I I was not happy because I thought that I thought New York outplayed them yet again in Game yeah. Six. I I would mostly agree, except that the Islanders kept taking some stupid penalties. Um, and I would also say that despite the fact that I think in large part the Islanders outplayed the Lightning, I still believe that – I firmly believe that the Islanders beat themselves. And I, I, I truly believe I truly believe that if there was going to be a head coach that could scheme a plan to defeat Tampa Bay, it would be Barry Trotz. I, I that would be one of the more logical conclusions that you could come to. Um, I mean, there's three really, really top notch coaches in the NHL right now. Um, and actually, all three of them happen to be in the Eastern Conference. Uh, there's, Cla- there's Claude Julian, there's uh, John Tortorella, and there's Barry Trotz. Yes. After that, we can talk about the rest. But those three, those three need to be three of your top five in any coaching hierarchy uh, or ranking of current NHL coaches. Otherwise, we really can't talk. And as, just not speaking the same language. And as we discussed last week, the wrong coach, unfortunately, won coach of the year. Not that I don't like the fact that the home team coach won. Yes. We all know that it should have gone to Tortorella with what he had to work with and what he was able to get out of that team. Oh, absolutely. That was a fun team to watch, even when they were down to the replacements for the replacements uh, for the replacements. It was, well, yeah, it so was an impressive point, effort. At one point you had your, uh, you had a third string and, and granted Vegas went through it a couple of years ago, but at one point you had your third string goalie, uh, Kivlianix, uh, or I, I could be botching his name and I apologize, but you had Corpusalo out hurt. You had Elvis, out hurt, and you had uh, Kivlianix, or whatever, however you pronounce his name, mm-hmm. starting in net and still holding it together, making yeah. uh, making decent saves, and and I mean we all know what 
Elvis was capable of when he finally got hold of the starting job and didn't have wasn't looking over his shoulder. Elvis wasn't in the building. He <laughs> was the building. I was going to say Elvis owned the building at that point. <laughs> um, but, I mean, if the Columbus Blue Jackets can find one or two pieces this year and retain most of their talent, they could be the most dangerous team in the East. All due respect to the Bruins might, and the Lightning. I was going to say, they might be on the same boat. They might be on the same boat as the Bruins in the fact that they're looking for depth scoring as opposed to just relying on Pierre-Luc Dubois and uh, the other dudes. Well, you've got the little guy there. Cam uh, Atkinson. Thank you, Cam Atkinson. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got. Go ahead. No, I was just, I was just thinking. Pierre Luc Dubois, Cam Atkinson. I mean, we're running, we're already running low on goal scoring. Boone Jenner is a good player, good all-around player, but he's not a huge goal scorer, uh, no. numbers-wise. Uh, Josh Anderson. Josh Anderson. But yeah. he's a, he's an RFA. Um, Alexander Wenberg is a good distributor. I don't see him as a huge goal scorer. He, he's. He's a good distributor. I, I mean, they're looking for goal scoring just as much as the Bruins are looking for it as well. I think defensively, Columbus is fairly well set up, especially with their top two in, in Wierenski and Jones. But David Savard clearly had a bounce back year after the season he had two seasons ago. I mean, that was just it got off to a bad start and never righted the ship. Uh, sticking with the, the boat analogy. They've got solid defense up there. He, he, Tortorella's got them going in the right direction that way. He just needs somebody else that he can rely on to put the puck in the net on a regular basis. I mean, Oliver Bjorkstrand was one of two players on that team to have more than 20 goals. Um, the sad thing is, is that he did. Uh, is that the other one was Zach Wierenski, who missed quite a few, who missed several games. Um, but Oliver Bjorkstrand is someone where we, we have to call that a breakout season in 49 games. He had 36 points, um, six power play, uh, three power play goals. That's, uh, got to be his best season to date, at least, uh, in a points per game per, uh, manner. Um, so they can probably count on him to do a little bit more of the lifting, uh, heading, into the future. Cause yeah, the previous season he had 36 points in, in 77 games and on a points per game pace. That's, that's definitely a nice improvement to see. Uh, Bjorkstrand, uh, 95. So, uh, he's still got some upside. He just turned, uh, 25. Um, finally looking like the player, you would expect to find uh, with a draft pick uh, right around uh, the, well, he was the end of the third round. So eh, probably a little bit better uh, than what you're actually expecting out of that pick. Um, back, I mean, going back to the Islanders though, yes. uh, how did they, how outside of taking a lot of penalties, did they, 
because I watched the games and at times it looked like they were all over Tampa Bay. We talked about it uh, midweek. The physicality was actually bringing Tampa Bay down a notch because they weren't capable of of returning the favor, so to speak. I mean, they were trying to be physical, but you had Kucherov had a nagging, niggling something. Braden Point had to come back for game six. Uh, Killorn at one point was was kind of hobbling. Uh, they had players all over the place that would just – the physicality was suddenly getting to them. Yep. And I thought that that was going to be uh, – lead to a possible game seven. It should have. Uh, here's the thing, though. Watching the Islanders in that series – and even watching them in the previous series, they did something that just doesn't work long term, particularly not against highly talented, highly athletic teams. And this is something they absolutely need to correct this offseason. Barry Trotz and the rest of the coaching staff need to go into into uh, training camp and assuming there is such a beast this offseason development camp for their young players. Um, with this in mind, I have never seen a team make it so deep into the playoffs that spent more time passing the puck away from the net than, <laughs> than moving it towards the net. They passed the puck backwards uh, up to the blue line. They passed it from the high, from the crease to the corners. They passed it from corner to corner without it getting anywhere near the net, and they spent so much time doing it that it severely limited their shots and allowed the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning to conserve energy uh, in their own defensive zone. I, like, I was baffled I by it my... after watching two or three games in a row. I, 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 don't, like, I don't like saying this. Because I spent most of the time disagreeing with the man. But unfortunately, Eddie Olchick decided to steal my my lines and tell everybody during the game that uh, Matthew Barzal refused to dump and chase. And all I did was scream throughout the series that they needed to improve their zone entries on the power play. I don't know what it is about Matthew Barzal. I think Barry Trotz needs to sit him down and show him video of other teams' successful power plays or something and, and or put together a video montage of how to dump and chase or something because that boy, especially in game six, they had late – they had a mid-third period power play or a late third period power play and three times in a row he tried to skate into the zone into the offensive zone and all three times ended up turning over the puck within six feet of it after getting over the line but they their zone entries were so slow that like claude julian could have outskated them into the zone (laughs) like legitimately they their zone entries were slow dump and chase is not winning hockey it's just not no, but if you can't skate into the offensive zone because the because the team has three people lined up on the blue line and you can't get past them, 
your next option is to dump it over their heads and get in deep. You have to find some other way. You can't keep the definition of insanity is attempting the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. They tried three times in a row and all three times ended up within six feet, having the puck turned around and dumped to their own end. Mm-hmm. By the time they finally entered the zone, there was 20 seconds left in the power play. I it, It's not that I disagree with that they need to do better uh, in terms of in terms of getting the in terms of the power play. But I you can't dump and chase all the time. Dump and chase is effectively give up the puck and hope that the team that's desperate doesn't work for it. But it is an answer when the when it's the first a potential belief. answer. But it's but again, you can't do it's it all the time because the other team knows you're going to do it all the time and they set up for it. Right. And that's exactly what they did with Barzal, because they know that he won't dump the puck in deep. They know he's going to try and skate it into the zone. So they purposely set up a three man front up at the blue line, even though they have down a man. So you've got three up front, one in one in the slot down near the goaltender, because yes, you know you that that's what he's going to do. Four of the five guys on the other team are skating like they're 75. But the puck has and to that's what the, the Islanders zone were first. doing. Skating like they were 75. I don't I don't know that they're a necessarily fast team. I realize they have some youth and Barzal is quick and Beauvillier is quick, but I don't know that they're the fastest team in the NHL by any stretch. They don't have to be the fastest team in the NHL to skate faster than they were on their attempts to enter the zone on their power play. I agree. But even going back to what I was saying, even strength, power play. It didn't matter. They were overpassing the puck, and they were not moving it towards the net on a regular basis. Like, I agree. One, we're There's talking some... one in seven, one in eight passes move the puck towards the net. Yeah, they got uh, they got FOSG fear of scoring fear of scoring goals. I don't know something like that. Uh, I mean, you watch other teams, and it's one in three, one in four shot, one in four passes. Before it starts moving towards the net, um, this was that is the one thing that I was screaming all the time at the TV was that somebody needed to shoot the puck because all I kept watching was the puck going around the perimeter. It would go to Taze, back to Barzal on the left side, back to yep. Taze, back to whoever his partner is, uh, Nick Letty. Down to the right side to Brock Nelson, back to the point. It's like somebody shoot the. <laughs> yeah. And by doing that, they allowed, as I said, they allowed Tampa's defense to be very well rested throughout the entire course of a two minute power play. <laughs> yeah, there was no. I mean, at one point, at one point. Shattenkirk was out there and stick broke, uh, dropped it, whatever it was. He was without a stick. Here's your chance to take advantage. You're now down to three. Then you, your opponent's now down to three and a half men. And yep. instead, you're still passing the puck around the net. Look at us. We can pass the puck a lot. <laughs> puck possession is great if you do something useful with it. There, are, you don't, you do not get points for most successful passes in a game. 
Really? There's no extra points That's what they were trying to do. I can't see that that's necessarily – I mean, when Barry was coaching Washington, especially in the power play, yes, the passing always seemed to come back around in some way to set up Ovechkin. But still, if Ovechkin wasn't open, Carlson took the shot or Oshie took the shot. Yeah, they they were still shooting the puck. So I don't know if they took Barry's words and and heard what he said and and decided that passing was going to get them a goal automatically. Yes, every seventy passes you complete, you automatically get a goal. It's 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 in the rule book. It's just a very obscure rule. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine that this is how they. I can't imagine that how they played in some scenarios was Barry's plan. No. And it would not surprise me to see a couple um, of the assistant coaches uh, moved out over the off season. And, and, and I'm sure that Barry wanted puck possession because the longer you have the puck, the less time Kucherov and point and Sergachev and Tyler Johnson and, and Andre and Palat. the rest have to score. Yes. It's very useful, and being responsible with the puck is one thing, but... you got to uh, shoot the puck to score. That's the way it penny works. Pennywise and uh, Dollar Foolish. So they they don't need personnel changes. They need uh, some sort of... Uh, they need strategy change or tactical change, which... I mean, they didn't look – I mean, they brought in Pajot, and Pajot did what he was supposed to do. I've, I've seen stories out there that did they overpay for him? Did they do – Pajot, Pajot, to the best of his ability, and he looked just fine. Yeah, I don't have any problem with what he did. The only the only thing I didn't see him do was score a shorthanded goal, which is – was his stock in trade, it seemed, up in up in Ottawa. The boy – Well, Yes. The boy could score shorthanded goals, and I didn't see him do that. For but I didn't see them go into some kind of shell where he was able able to break loose either. So you can't fault it. I mean, the object of killing a penalty is killing the penalty, not scoring shorthanded. So you can't fault him for not getting one. And the rest of the time that he was on the ice, he was doing what he's supposed to do. I mean, and you can't fault Anders Lee. I mean, he was our choice if they were to get there for Con Smythe because he's the heart and soul and, and you could see it on the ice. He was sticking his nose in everywhere and, and getting in front of the net, getting in the dirty areas. Varlamov was the best I've seen Varlamov in a long time. Easily. Um, and, and not that he's played poorly, but he was not only very, very good, but he was very, very consistent. Like there, I there's that book on the guy who left the bubble. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked about it for years. If you see him at the start of a game with his hips and uh, rear end in the net and playing really deep or playing a foot outside the crease you know he's not on his game. He's not focused, balanced, whatever you want to call it. Um, and you know you're going to see him do odd stuff that he's not particularly good at. 
you don't really see that with Vasilevsky as much. Uh, not so not so noticeable a tell, but there are signs when he's not at the peak of his game. This is actually his. This was actually his best, and maybe it speaks to the other teams that he was on. But this is his best playoffs of his career. He played uh, 20, having- 20, 20, and eight, 20 playoff games. He had a 2.14 goals against, 921 save percentage. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been close to that since his rookie year when he had 13 playoff games. He had a 2.52 and a 9.18. Um, that was that, 11 years ago. Part of that is having both McDonough and Hedman in the lineup. Because those two play on different pairings, and that's easily 45 minutes, 50 minutes of ice time any given night with one or both with one of them on there. Um, not not to say that he isn't a great uh, goaltender by himself. Um, I don't think you can really make any valid argument for him being outside the top uh, five or six goaltenders in the league right now. Are you talking about the same goaltender? I'm talking about Varlamov for the Islanders. You're talking oh, Varlamov, Vas- sorry. No, I thought you were still talking about Vasilevsky. I, I never was talking about Vasilevsky. I'm talking about Varlamov and the job that he did for the Islanders. Oh, and, nope, sorry. Missed that. <laughs> Varlamov, has, Varlamov has, like I said, he's been. this is the best he's been. I haven't seen him this good in a long time. Now, granted, most of his years were in Colorado where he did not have a defense in front of him, minus Eric Johnson. Uh, but when I can't name anyone else. Yeah. Well, I can name like three others, but they're all recent. Cal McCarr, you know, uh, uh, Zadorov and, and Sam Gerard. But I mean, seriously, the, he's been mired in Colorado. I mean, his save percentages and goals against in Colorado have been average at best. I mean, which is probably more than you can expect given how bad their defense was, because not only did they not have defensemen who were useful in their own zone, their forwards didn't play defense. I mean, he gets to the Islanders and in his first year with the Islanders, they get into the playoffs and he puts together Really good numbers. I mean, a two-one-four goals against. I mean, they play. They actually play defense in, in, on the island uh, under Barry. Mm-hmm. And nine-twenty-one save percentage, best of his career playoffs-wise. Yep. Who's going to argue with that? I mean, so you can't blame him. My my point is that they don't necessarily need. There's nothing that they're screaming that they need. Maybe they could use some goal scoring. Uh, but they seem a well-rounded French, a well-rounded team on the ice. Yeah, if they can just remember to, I don't know, aim the puck at the net more than once a period. <laughs> Agreed. Um. So we need we we're in agreement that most of what uh, most of what needs to be done is tweaks of the coaching system and the strategic system for. Uh, for the Islanders. Uh, before we talk about the other teams that are still playing, um, our friends over at Puck Pros have selected their nominee to be the first coach of the 
of the Seattle Kraken. Wait, uh, and, La, La Violette's already been hired away. He's going to Washington. I, and that's a shame. Uh, okay. But they have picked the one, the only, uh, get in a cab, uh, Gerard Gallant. Hey, they didn't put him in a cab in Vegas. <laughs> I don't know why they got rid of him in Vegas. I'm still trying to figure that one out because you brought in a guy. And and it's not that I don't like Peter DeBoer, but I still haven't figured out. I mean, was this just change for change sake? I literally don't know. Exactly. I don't think anybody does except for. McPhee and McCrimmon because there was no real reason. The only thing you can say is that at the time that he was let go, they were not in a playoff position. They were slumping. Yeah. They were like one, they were one spot out. Oh, okay. So we're not talking bottom of the barrel here. No, they, they were not doing the St. Louis uh, sewage, sewage uh, swim. I, yeah, I still don't know why he was let go. But that being said, now he's got a chance to take another uh, or a possible chance. And I actually like this idea. I mean, from did, a did he really enjoy being the first coach of the Vegas Golden Knights and, and putting his own? It, only Gerard can answer that, whether he really enjoyed it or not. And I was reading this article and it says uh, – you know, that one has to imagine that Gallant would love to coach the Kraken. He had a fun time coaching the last expansion team. Does he want does do we really know this? Does he want to go through that again? We don't. Um, but at this point, his choices are probably. Take a lesser job, meaning an assistant coach in the NHL, maybe an AHL head coaching position. Join a broadcast booth somewhere, whether it's a studio analyst or I can't imagine him doing play by play. But um, no, usually usually past players and coaches and whatnot do the color commentary. Play by play is usually some guy they hire out of broadcasting school. uh, Or, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he could go to Europe and coach soccer for a couple of years. I mean, that seems to work out really, really well. I would love to say, I mean, I think that he did a fabulous job in Vegas. You look at that franchise and they've had nothing but success. I, mean, I, I don't know what the Vegas fans are going to do when they start to experience less than what they currently have seen from their NHL franchise. But, you know, those first lean years where they start finishing, you know, mid-pack or whatever – how are the fans going to react? Because they've had nothing but playoff, Ill, playoff lives since they've started. To have Gallant do that with another expansion franchise would be really cool to see. And it would certainly cement him in terms of, of NHL head coaching as some kind of elite to take two franchises, if in fact he is hired and can get them as successful, to take two expansion franchises and build them up and really all he would have to do is get to the playoffs in order to be for it to be considered a success. He doesn't have to take the team to the 
uh, Western Conference Finals or the Stanley or the Stanley Cup Finals in order for I mean, it to be a success. I mean, that's the thing. When he was in Vegas, when when McPhee hired him, McPhee had was on record multiple times as saying that they had a five year plan. And in the first year, you get to the final. You get the Stanley Cup final. Kind of blows up the five year plan. Yeah, that that curve is probably just a little bit dented. So yeah, if he can take another expansion franchise and just get to the first round, that's really all that. And and then you got to start talking about Gerard as as some kind of uh, Renaissance man as far as as far as coaching goes. And it would certainly go another step towards getting rid of that horrible, awful way he was treated in Florida. You know, we talk about we've talked about the Edmonton Oilers being a franchise with deep rooted issues. I think we can safely put the Florida Panthers in that same boat. Well, they haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they managed to win a Stanley Cup back, what was it, 23 years ago or something like that, 26 years ago. Something like that. When they had Van Beesbrook. We talked about that, too. Uh, But since then, it's been slowly capsizing or has capsized. Oh, they came out of that. I want to say that they had a fire sale immediately after winning the Cup um, and haven't really been the same since. I mean, Dale Talon couldn't turn that team around, and now he's without a job, which probably should have been the firing as opposed to Gallant back in yeah. the day. I, I just, I, yeah, I don't know, and and I don't know what's going on with Florida. They haven't figured it out, and then they traded off assets last year, so now they're starting back next to the eight ball. Maybe slightly behind it. Who knows? It would be fun to watch Gallant in Seattle. So I'm not going to disagree with this story. My only question is, does he really want to go through it again? Did he enjoy it enough that he would do it a second time? It's hard to say. I, I lean towards yes. Um, he's, he's still got that fresh taste and mentality in his mouth. Yes, the player mix is going to be different. Um, it might not be as good. It it could also be better. I mean, the well, player mix that he gets there could actually be better. Well, they are There's, gonna they they are changing. They are changing the rules for this expansion, correct? I mean, uh, not, no. out, outside of outside of the fact that Vegas doesn't have to worry about it. Nope, Vegas is exempt, and otherwise the same rules. Oh, okay. Fair enough, then. Um, which basically means that any player not on Vegas is or might end up unprotected if they don't have a no-movement clause. So now it really comes down to can Ron Francis and whoever they hire as GM act the same or or make the same kind of deals because George McPhee I don't know how he did it I don't know like I, we joke about we, we joke about Glenn Sather and everything and how did he get Montreal to take Scott Gomez and and 
Did he have you know? Did he have salacious photos? Uh, I don't know how McPhee was able to convince all these teams to make available to him the players he wanted, and if necessary, somehow work a deal where the player that he really wanted suddenly was available but wasn't originally, like Shea Theodore from Anaheim. By the way, brilliant draft pick. <laughs> I, I, McPhee was just I, I, he was that guy behind the green curtain and Oz pulling the strings. He he was fabulous. Ron Francis and his GM have to don't have to be the same, but they have to be savvy. seventy. They have to be savvy about how they work this. Yeah, and can they can they do it too? So. I'd like to see Gerard. Gerard needs to be back in the NHL. He needs to be coaching somewhere. So, if this is the job, if this is the job, then so be it. One of the difficulties that whoever ends up head coach of the Kraken is going to face is that their AHL affiliate has been pushed off uh, an, an extra year in their start. Ooh. Um, Seattle announced that their age. Their AHL players are going to be spread out among different teams um, in the AHL next I season. Thought they ha- I thought they had a plan in place for an AHL franchise. Yes, it's been delayed for a year. Ah. Um, and until the uh, Palm Springs team comes online, um, that means that all of the players are going to be coming out of different coaching se- systems. And that was going to be my statement. You beat me to it. If you're and sending all of your ahead. minor league, no, I was just going to say, if you're sending all your minor minor league players, all your all your young players to all to various and sundry AHL teams, they're going to be learning different systems. They're going to be learning different methods, and then you bring them back, you call them up. I mean, the idea behind having your own AHL team, and it worked here in Boston, is that when Cassidy was running Providence he was coaching a similar style to what Claude Julien was doing in Boston so that when players were called up, they could fit right in and know what the system was. You start scattering your your youth around various teams and then calling them back. It's going to take them a little adjustment period to suddenly grasp what Gerard Gallant or whoever co- the coach is, what their scheme is. So it might actually hurt them in the beginning, that first year. It's going to come down to their level of injuries and how many players are, you know, a year out of junior or college and how many players are three or four years out uh, that end up in the AHL somewhere. Um, we don't, Since we don't know how long training camps are going to be, I have to wonder if some of the teams, particularly, you know, Seattle might lobby for longer training camps so that they can start uh, indoctrinating the players into uh, into the systems, especially where there's the chance that we could face a, a further shutdown or restrictions during the season. Um it might be something that makes a lot of sense for the front offices to consider. But they're building uh, on a positive note, though, it's all going to be 
privately owned land. They're not going to have to worry about they're not going to have to worry about ownership issues. Construction privately funded. Uh, it's going to be in the Palm Desert. Another another team playing hockey in a desert. Mm. <laughs> And as as we've mentioned, uh, Bettman does have the ideal of playing an 82 game season next year with the normal playoff uh, procedure. This, this one's interesting. I well, saw this. Go ahead. Go ahead. I I saw this, uh, and I saw it in relation to one particular team, and when I opened the story and went back to the main search page, suddenly it rejiggered the the the, the search criterion and, and suddenly every NHL team had this pop up as a story that Gary Bettman is apparently still playing an eighty two game schedule. However, he's saying that the December first uh, deadline or December first start date that he wanted is suddenly going to be moved back possibly to the end of December or maybe early January. So now No bueno. Yeah, I don't know if that it that's too late and still trying to run an 82 game schedule. Uh Is this a pie in the sky? It, it, I mean <clears throat> unless you're condensing the hell out of the schedule. Yeah, but then you're talking minimum 3 games a week. No, no, no. You're talking minimum four games a week, maybe even. I was trying to be nice. I mean, if you do four games a week, that's 20 weeks. That's still five months. And if and you that's start. Assuming, that's assuming no all-star break, no, no bye week. So you're still talking mid to end of May yes. before you end the regular season, which means playoffs aren't starting until early June at the earliest with the cup going up in August, making Uh, it, making it really hard to start for October for the 2022, 2023 season. Or no, that would be the 21, 21, 21, 22 season. Yeah. It says, I mean, it says in this article and I found, I found, an actual story on NHL.com, so uh, I don't have any team biases in the story. And, so, and the quote is, my preference would be to stay out of summer as much as possible. Our fans typically like watching us through the fall, winter, and into the spring, and it's always been a goal to be done by the end of June. Playing in late July, August, and September was important to do now. If we can avoid it, we will, but it's premature to have an answer other than we understand the issue and we're going to try to deal with it as best we can, end quote. (laughs) So he doesn't want to play in summer, but he seems to understand that if he does it this way, they're probably going to have to play in summer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, your other options are to do some sort of uh, lockout season where you play 45 or 50 games 
end the regular season at the regular season end date like they did back in, what was it, 14-15, 13-14, whatever the lockout year was, have a shortened season and then play a regular playoffs, go into a regular offseason and get back on your typical fall, winter, spring track. That honestly makes more sense to me. Maybe not necessarily the 48-game season like the lockout shortened year in, what was it, 13-14? But yeah, that's it. Um, maybe 65 games, 68, you can probably get away with. And still squeeze it in, finish everything by, by late early April. April. Okay, so if you stretch it out to late April, you're still starting the playoffs in May. Which Even is only I, a month later. I could accept that because that means playoffs would be ending in early, mid-July. Not terrible. You're not playing hockey in mid-August, late August. What? Well, I would take my suggestion that I, the suggestion that I made for this year's first round and, and absolutely apply it for next year. Back-to-backs for the first round cut that time down from a minimum of a week to a maximum of a week and keep going from there. Maybe you, even do would it. You not, would you not cut the first round down to five game series? Still go seven. No, no. I don't. Yeah. And I don't like it either. I want seven game series. I want seven game series. I want none of the pretend offs that we had to deal with this year. <laughs> You did not like you didn't like seating and and play in playoffs and or whatever you want to call. As I said, I do not want to deal with the pretend offs that we had to deal with this year. Outside of the outside of outside of the Montreal series, they really weren't good. Exciting, good, uh, entertaining, engaging, <laughs> competitive. The Montreal series was they. I mean, who'd they play? Columbus? Uh, no, Pittsburgh. That's right, Pittsburgh, which probably made it more enjoyable for me. I, I I have to say, but yeah, that was thoroughly engaging. I wanted to. I actually wanted to be home to watch a Montreal game that wasn't being played against the Bruins. I didn't want to miss Montreal beating up on Pittsburgh. That was thoroughly enjoyable. Carey Price was phenomenal. And, but outside of that series, yeah, I mean, you look at the Bruins, and they had nothing to play for. It was all it was all risk, no reward, because they already had the number one spot. That was completely the wrong way to handle it. And we've discussed all of that. So, yeah, I can see doing without all of that play and stuff. It, Unfortunately, the entertainment didn't outweigh the fact that it was horrible. <laughs> no, it looked like preseason hockey. And, well, it looked like the worst possible combination of preseason hockey and dog days with hockey. consequences. Yeah, it was preseason hockey with consequences. Which those two should not. I mean, oxymoron, anybody? <laughs> Just no, it was terrible 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 um and some of it wasn't even that good uh i I love this quote 
there is still so much we don't know. Nobody can tell me whether or not the border between Canada and the United States is going to be open by a date certain. I think he means certain date. Nobody can tell me what the state of COVID. Uh, shoot, I actually said it. Damn. That makes what, sense even. What the state of the pause is going to be. Nobody can tell me whether our whether or not our arenas will be able to have either socially distant or fully occupied buildings. But we're playing without the fans. Is that outside of the fact that you need the revenue stream? And the engagement. The fan engagement is still important. And while it's a minuscule number of fans at any given time who are in the building, Mm -hmm. the in-arena behavior drives teams and I really don't I really can't imagine a, a regular length season with no fans in the stands I can't I, imagine the players being able to get up for it in a season a as long 80, as a full 82 game season yeah no even it, I don't even the 60 game season for whether it's basketball or hockey or I mean baseball plays 182 games and while there are certain arenas well, where there's barely more fans than staff. Well, they play um, 162, but even they cut it down to 60 games this because they're playing in front of, in, in front of empty seats uh, while they have cardboard cutouts, but whatever. I, yeah, in order, for, in order for the NHL to survive this, they've got to have butts in the seats. That's what it comes down to. You need the revenue stream. You need the engagement. Watching it on, even watching it on television, it's more enjoyable with raucous fans going crazy in the stands. Mm -hmm. And without that, you lose all kinds and manner of engagement. And hopefully if they all kinds of manner and engagement, and you may be losing uh, your pipeline, your talent pipeline, um, I noticed that the the ice skating arena by my rink had reopened, um, and they do have games and practices there. But it didn't seem to have there didn't seem to be as many as many people there as in the past. Now it could simply be that you know they're only allowing the parents to drop off and then pick up, uh, but. When I was down on the Cape, the rink, the the rink down in in, in the town where I was staying, or, or next town or whatever it was, they were actually open and advertising on their their big board, the free skates, you know, free skate times fifteen dollars. I mean, the the skating rinks are open, but is that enough to engage people to? watch a sport of hockey. I mean, the kids who are already engaged. Sure. I think most of them who are most of the ones who are allowed to stay involved Mm -hmm. are probably going to stick it out, but their younger brothers and sisters and little cousins and and their neighbors mm, convincing mommy and daddy to get, uh, get the kid involved in the current, environment might be a little bit harder. So final, final quote, last, last sentence of the, or last two sentences of this story. 
It says, and, and Gary says, the only good news in this context is that the ownership of the 31, soon to be 32 NHL franchises has never been stronger and healthier. While nobody has any revenue coming in right now, and owners are obviously writing checks to cover overhead and expenses, our franchises will get through this and will come out stronger on the other side. Is this uh, eyes, you know, seeing things through rose-colored glasses? You know, how much are the NHL franchises really struggling right now? I mean, um, they obviously they aren't rolling they aren't rolling back a salary cap to a prior number, but they aren't increasing it either. I mean, given the NHL's labor history, they have most of the owners who can tie their own shoes probably have a contingency built in where they have severely reduced or even essentially no revenue um, for a full year or so. Um, I mean, it wasn't, it was only, only 15 years ago that they did lose that full season in the, what was it? 2014, 2004 season. Um, and then the 2012-13 season, they lost, you know, 40% of the schedule. So it has, it should be a part of the planning for them. Can they survive another year with low revenue? Probably. Can they survive two or three more years with no revenue? No. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that some of the franchises are struggling right now. I, I I want to take Gary at his word here that everybody's healthy, you know, never been stronger or healthier. And that may be the case. I mean, it, it would seem that they've got themselves, they finally got themselves a stable, uh, uh, stable uh, financial backing from TV contracts and, and they've got, Decent advertising. I'm, I'm sure Honda pays through the nose, <laughs> but and and revenue sharing and whatnot. But I still can't imagine that all 32 franchises are there aren't at least one or two that that are sitting there going, "We need this to end. We got to get back to a serious a full season." I mean, if we don't, <laughs> do I firmly believe that all 31 teams are in the best shape they've ever been in? No. Do I believe that there's some sort of contingency planning that's been done? Yes. And I think that's about all you can expect. Fair enough. Um, moving on to the soon-to-be-in-full-swing free agency period. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Stevenson over at Puck Pros has... Uh, has lined up the three players he thinks he should receive should receive a offer sheet. Um, I agree with one. I'm not a hundred percent sure on the other two, even if I don't dislike them. Um, Eric Cernak is the first gentleman he lists. List. Tampa Bay Lightning have under five and a half million in cap space, with only 15 players signed. Eric Cernak. Eric Cernak's a good defenseman. He's not top pairing, not yet anyway, but he's a good defenseman. 
Um, the Lightning are going to need to do something to sign him, to sign people, um, but they're also going to need to sign people ahead of him. Yes. Uh, I think that this may be a little bit optimistic uh, as far as what they're going to get for people. Uh, but okay. Andy mentions, of course, that Sergachev is one of the players that they really need to resign. Ooh, ooh. Maybe we could grab Sergachev? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, because Tampa Bay is not going to attempt to resign him. Hmm. No. Not at all. Uh, the Islanders uh, are featured on the list with Ryan Pulak uh, listed here. Um, interesting to see his name. I don't uh, he I just came see. off a two-year deal with worth two million a year. Uh, almost certain he'll end up eh, closer to four million a year, um, just based on what we saw of him in the playoffs and how much he did play. Depending on how much he asked for, I don't see the Islanders letting him go either. Third name on the list is one that just about everyone in hockey is familiar with. <laughs> Um, someone we actually talked about a few minutes ago in Matthew Barzal, um, of the players listed. Yeah. He's probably going to get the biggest pay. Um, he's not a defenseman. He's not a defenseman. I don't know that someone is actually going to offer him, uh, the enough money to trigger the four first round picks as compensation, uh, that, Stevenson seems to be implying. Um, that said, I'm, if I could get Matthew Barzal for seven or eight million, uh, I would happily do so. Um, wait, wait, what is this 10 million number? That is the number that it takes to get that. Uh, uh, that's the top tier. Uh, of okay. compensation. So he signs for slightly under that number. It's only two first round picks, a second and a third. So Mark Bergevin needs to be a little bit more cautious when throwing around uh, free agent offer sheets. Maybe. Yes. He upset a lot of people when he did that to Sebastian Ajo. He upset a lot of people. <laughs> Poor dears. I thought it would. I mean, as much as I think Mark Bergevin is, well, not the best GM in hockey. <laughs> I thought sure? that, that uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I thought that that was actually a brash, bold move. Brash, bold and potentially a windfall. I mean, they would have had to give up a lot. I'm imagining that he wouldn't have made the offer if they didn't have the chips to to return to, to, oh, to and Carolina, they but, but I still. mean, I, I can't imagine that there are five teams in the league right now that have the ability that have their first four that have their next four first round draft picks, um, to give up for, uh, to give up for a 10 million more a year or more signing. Uh, but some of the guys who were in that second and third tier, 
uh, can still make a big difference adding to the depth of your team. Absolutely. But who are we talking? I mean, if those are the top three, are, uh, and that's what the article indicates, is that these are the top three, or these are just... Those any- are his top three. Oh, okay. I don't, uh, I don't, I'm not saying that any of them are bad picks. I just don't 100% agree. I mean, if you're looking at RFA, I mean, Josh Anderson is someone who I would target big right wing physical player can score. Twenty six years old, uh, currently makes 2.1 mil. Josh Anderson. I mean, there's a lot of RFAs out there. I mean, do you throw money at an Anthony Mantha? Do you, you know, no. if you're looking for scoring, uh, is Anthony Duclair going to leave Ottawa? <laughs> I'm here to tell he you. He should not. I'm here to tell you he's not. I mean, <laughs> I mean, for his own sake, given yeah. how well he played there last year and the stay. struggles he had in the past couple of years, mm-hmm. he should not take any offer outside that city. Not until they tell him we're not signing you, go away. I can't see them doing that either. I mean, clearly no, he's played, clearly he played his best hockey of his young career while he was in Ottawa. Yes. Or pretty close to it. On the other hand, the owner there is still Eugene Melnick. Yes, the owner is Eugene Melnick. And unless he somehow is interjecting himself into contract negotiations. You mean sort of like that uh, new owner down south in Arizona? Oh, don't even get me started on him. I, I'm still I still haven't forgiven that individual. That was me being nice, by the way. I mean, it's still Piedorian in Ottawa as far as GMs go. And I'm hoping that he has a clearer vision of what to do with the team than Melnick does. It would be hard not to, but go ahead. In that case, then he would need to, I mean, this is a guy who outside of his, well, his rookie season, that wasn't even rookie season. He only played 18 games with the Rangers. So his his rookie season was his first year in Arizona. He had 20 goals, 44 total points in 81 games. Ottawa Senators, he only plays 66 games. He has 23 goals and 40 points before the Which pause. Which is reasonable. Before the pause. But what I'm saying, he, he was he's only four points shy of his career high in mm-hmm. 15 less games. Yep. Uh, yeah, you don't leave there. <laughs> They've got a good young core in Brady in, in Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat and Colin White. And and you've got some. You've got some veteran leadership. Bobby Ryan is still there. I mean, he's in a good situation. I can't see him leaving, and I don't think that Pierre Dorian is going to let him go. So that takes him off the table. I mean, Barzal, 
that's a lot of money, so he's not going anywhere. I don't think any of those three are moving on. No. Um, I mean, Ryan Strom might move off of the Rangers. Um, he had a solid season for – he had a solid season. Uh, uh, Andre Burakovsky, another RFA. Um, he's out in Colorado. Um, he had something slightly above a show-me contract, but not much. Um, Three and a quarter mil? Yeah, but this guy's been in the league a few years. It's not like he's it's not like he's a rookie who's just coming off his first contract. Uh Dominic Kahan uh that could be fascinating to see what happens there. Rupe Hintz and Jake DeBrusque have both become pretty well integrated parts of their teams. Um Jesper Bratt might might take an offer sheet because let's face it, the Devils are broken. That's a nice way of putting it. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure what one would make an offer sheet to him for and whether the Devils would match it or take the picks. It's amazing, but how this guy's name isn't on that list. Chicago Blackhawks, Dominic Kubalik. He's only up for rookie of the year. I don't believe he's offer sheet eligible. He might not be. I don't think he has, uh, but you could be. Hmm. Now I don't remember. Kubalik, Kubalik, Kubalik. Oh yeah, he is uh, arbitration eligible. So yeah. Yes, he is. Fascinating. So, I mean, interesting that he hasn't granted again, he is slightly older rookie uh, like Panarin was. And we talked about it a couple, three weeks ago uh, that it's possible that Chicago was going to have to move him uh, just like they did Panarin due to the fact that they can't afford him because they've got a bunch of old guys on huge contracts. Yes. <laughs> So, I mean, it, it, I'm surprised that he's not on the list, but okay, I'll go with, I'll go with this guy's top three for now and just tell you that I don't see any of them moving from their current franchises. Nope. What else do we have on the board for today? There has not been a lot of talk. Uh, we do have one story that relates to the hometown team. Oh joy, go for it! That we have not brought up yet, and this was this was one that you brought to the table uh, from our one of our local sports stations here, W, uh, or at least it appeared on their on on their newsfeed. Uh, written by Scott McLaughlin, the Bruins have some questions on the left side of their defense. Um. The, the belief here is that Don Sweeney could uh, try to knock one out of the park, swing for the fences, to use baseball analogies. Uh, apparently, the Bruins are one of three teams, along with the Flames and Oilers, who have, quote-unquote, checked in on Coyotes defenseman Oliver ekman Larson. That is such a weasley term. <laughs> check in on? 
because let's let's be honest. What does what does check in on mean? It means we called. Do you still own the sky's rights? Hint, 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 hint. It does not in any way imply that there are actual negotiations in place for for this player. Mm-hmm. That said, um, that said, they- you should be doing that for high quality players. And yes. anyone who believes that they wouldn't like Oliver Ekman Larson in black and gold really needs to do better drugs. The pharmacy, yeah, the street, the, the street pharmaceuticals need an improvement. Uh, this is a young man, and I say young because mm, as long as he's been playing, he's only 29 years old. He's one of those guys where you go, wow, I thought he was older. Yeah. Because he's been around since, what, he was 18? Yeah, he's 19, played almost 10 years in the league at this 19, point. Yeah. He's bona fide top-pairing defenseman, plays every situation. Uh, he averages and he averages 23 minutes per game every year since the 12-13 season. In in this particular season, he finished nine goals and thirty points in sixty six games, slightly under half point per game. So he still puts the puck in the net, along with being a solid shutdown defenseman. And this is with a forward group who can't score. If he actually had forwards in front of him who could remember, you know, that scoring thing. Oh, by the way, he can quarterback the power play, too. Yes. So since it looks very (laughs) unlikely that uh, TK47 will be back in Boston next year, except in a visitor's uniform, uh, OEL is a suitable replacement. Not only that, but I think – and it says here there are a couple of reasons the Coyotes would consider trading him. They have had some financial issues this summer. They were docked a first and second round pick for violating the league's scouting combine policy, and they have a new GM. Like I said, is there any way we can blindfold him and convince him we're actually going to take Oligoski and then kind of sneak OEL out the, out the side door? <laughs> well, I put together my trade suggestion for grabbing both of them, but I don't think you actually liked it. No, I don't. I don't have a problem bringing Goligoski in. He's he is thirty five. I mean, we talked about that pre show. He is 35, but if it's something that can get the job done, uh, we'll trade the the <clears throat> quote unquote Hall of Famer. And Zdeno Chara isn't even signed. We can't trade him. <laughs> I said quote unquote Hall of Famer. Um, John Moore. Uh, and that's John a stretch. Moore. No, no, no. John Moore is not the Hall of Famer. And John Moore. Uh, he would. He would also be. And we're not trading Patrice anywhere. He's going to retire a Bruin, retire his number in the rafters. Bruins Hall of Fame, NHL Hall of Fame. He's not going anywhere. Uh, no, Charlie. Mm. Oh, the fans Coyle? are going to love me for this Charlie, one. Charlie Coyle is a really solid player who happens to be from Weymouth. We, yes, he is from Weymouth. Very good. I, I had to go digging deep to find that information. But um, I don't and, know that he's quite a Hall Wagner's of Famer yet. from Walpole, so. <laughs> he is. I hadn't heard that. Oh, see, there you go. Learn something new every day. No, we we're gonna trade. You know, fan favorite Charlie McAvoy. Shh, don't tell anybody. 
I will not you, tell anyone that it's your suggestion to trade Charlie McAvoy. Absolutely. I also think we could trade Tuca, but oh wow, see, I'm really going to get myself in trouble today. <laughs> well, the thing is, is if you trade Tuca, he might opt out of it. <laughs> Ouch! They don't need goaltending. Darcy Kemper, strong, uh, unless Tuca is going to be the backup, because I don't see that. Uh, Auntie, Auntie Ranta is still there. He's good, too. But if you're right. If you could trade John Moore, Charlie McAvoy, uh, give them back a second-round pick because they just lost theirs, is that enough to get it done, though, is my question. No. You would have to throw in a forward prospect or two, maybe someone off the roster. Maybe you send Coleman out as part of the trade. And you add, um, I would, although I would they're be, probably going to actually want someone like Studnika. I would or, be heartbroken over losing Coleman. Uh, they would they would probably want someone more like Studnika. Yeah, Maybe. somebody more. And somebody, it's going to be somebody young who's NHL ready or someone like with a said, little more upside. Yeah, I mean, I would not actually cry if they traded Andre Kasha uh, back out already. I know he's young. I know he's a right wing. Uh, I like his skill set. I just don't know that he's going to mesh with either of the top centers right now. I think um, he was actually. See, the thing is, I think he was actually messing, meshing with Krejci. I think the thing that upsets people here in Boston is the fact that he d- hasn't put the puck in the net. He's come close, and he, the, mo- the more they played in the playoffs, the more comfortable he appeared to get, the better he appeared to be. But that, that is he true. wasn't he looked pour, better at the end of the playoffs than the beginning. But he wasn't pouring pucks into the net, so therefore he's a failure. You know, we might we might uh, have to give up the uh, the Richie brothers, which which would be oh. a shame. Yeah, that's horrible. How how can you do that? How can you give up both Richie brothers? I don't know. I just don't know. As long as they're not taking Connor Clifton away. Um, the other, actually, more realistically, uh, you might have to you might have to lose like either Pavel Shen or um, or Erho Vakaninen. I mean, if you're actually getting OEL with multiple years left. I was going to say, this is where I usually get myself into trouble because I start saying I don't want to get rid of this prospect. I don't want to get rid of that prospect. But in this particular case, the return, all Reckman Larson is worth sending out a couple of prospects that almost anything. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see him in a Bruins uniform. I mean, if if the price... Just, I mean, I think we can. I think both of us can set a price that is too high. Uh, if they come back and say, "Okay, for OEL, we need Grizzlick and McAvoy, and two of Frederick, Studnika, and Vakaninen," I think um, both of us would fully agree. The answer is no. I would be inclined to say no, yes. Uh, correct. Now, we talked about this other little wrinkle because it does say 
at the bottom of this story. Let's file this under the same category we had for the possibility of signing Taylor Hall. Unlikely, but not completely crazy. But let's be clear, you're only making one of those two moves, if any. And it got us talking, which which move do you make if that if you're only making one of those two moves, are you attempting to sign Taylor Hall or are you making a deal to bring in OEL? I guess the answer to that question, and this is going to be a slightly different answer than I gave before the show, mm-hmm. is are you making a move for the next two to three seasons or are you making a move for the next four plus? Because if it's for the next two to three seasons, it's absolutely Taylor Hall. Yeah. Uh, but if you're making it for four plus, it's I, I would go with OEL. OEL currently his contract runs through, I believe, the end of the next century. Uh, it's five more years. But yes, OEL is actually a year. Oh, no, it's, Taylor more, Hall. it's more than that. It's OEL it's, is yeah. OEL signed through 26, 27, I believe. Hold on. I'm pulling it up. Hold on. Um. Yes, 26-27 is the last year. Defensemen last longer, and OEL has been healthier than Taylor Hall. Yes. Um, Now, based on the Bruins' actual need, Taylor Hall is the best forward who can be relied upon to put the puck in the net when he's healthy. Um, Whether that makes him... The best option available. I don't know. Uh, I mean, Mike Hoffman, Mike Hoffman, whose girlfriend made her made herself quite famous uh, in Ottawa by uh, harassing Eric Carlson's fiance. But we already dealt with the drama of Hamilton's mom. Can we not do that again? I would prefer not to. Um, uh, And then, you know. After that, it's Tyler Toffoli, who I don't know that uh, Vancouver is going to want to give up. See, for me, it's it. For me, I, I I'm going after OEL, 29 year old top pairing defenseman, quarterback to power play, plays in all situations, averages 23, 24 minutes a night. I'm going after OEL defense, especially top pairing defense, and that at that talent level. Yes, the Bruins, and we talked about this, the Bruins need depth scoring. The Bruins need somebody other than the top line. I'm certainly not calling them the perfection line. The top line. Except you just did. No, I, I, no. So anyway, I can't, I understand that we need scoring, but you can find scoring elsewhere. You don't have to bring in a Taylor Hall to boost scoring. And Taylor Hall is going to cost you big money for yes only two or three years oel locked up for eight years and if if it's to be believed that's about the same average annual value that is going to get tory krug signed which is why i don't think oel is coming here either because if they're not willing to give tory krug eight and a quarter mil why would they make a trade for a player who's already earning eight and a quarter mil OEL is definitely better defensively and very nearly as good offensively, plus larger. Well, yes, yeah, 6'2", 200 will do that. And Tory Krug is 5'10". 
I mean, the other factor in this is, of course, that OEL does have that no movement clause. And if he doesn't want to be traded, all trade discussion is completely worthless. But to go to a team that is a perennial playoff team. Yes, I understand that. But I can see him waiving it for that purpose. I mean, unless he really feels some affinity, some loyalty to Arizona. And if he does, I more power to him. Uh, I'll be I'll be proud of him. But the chance to play What's, annually in the playoffs and go deep. Got to have some kind of draw. Uh, absolutely. But this is also a guy who this is his the only home he's known since leaving Sweden. He's been in the NHL since the 2010-2011 season, and the Arizona area is – it's where he's been. Ten years. So what the Bruins need to do is draft or sign a couple of Swedes. I'm pretty certain they actually have a Swede or two somewhere in the system. They have one, as far as I can tell. That's Parlindholm. Okay, uh, so they need. So what you're saying is they need to sign or draft another Swede. Uh, wait a minute, where's Nord? Oh, Nordstrom's a Swede. Joachim Nordstrom is a Swede. We've got a couple of Swedes. There we go. Okay, we just need to keep them around a little longer, even though they're Nordstrom. I wouldn't have a problem keeping around. Parland home. <laughs> Do we have any Swedes in the system? Likely. <laughs> uh, Vakaninen, we know, is a Finn. Berglund? Unikopanen's a Finn. Uh, apparently, they're going to be giving up on Ryan Fitzgerald. <gasps> no! Oh, did I say that out loud? That well, is so shocking. Victor Berglund is a Finn. By the way. I'm sorry, is a Swede. Victor Berglund is a Swede? Okay, good. We got a Swede in the system, too. Okay, good. Um... And he's a right defenseman, so, you know, he could just come up and slide Ooh. into a spot and play on the top pairing with uh, OEL. Yes, that's why he's still in the minors, because he's a top pairing defenseman we're trying to keep hidden. Exactly. It, it's to protect him from the expansion draft. Uh, yeah, Ryan Fitzgerald, apparently his uncle, I believe. It's his uncle, uh, Tom Fitzgerald from Bill Ricca, who is now the GM of the New Jersey Devils, is apparently interested in bringing Ryan over. Yay. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think that I think OEL would do well here. Seriously. I don't necessarily disagree, but. Yeah. Anyways, I think we've beaten that one to death, too. What else do we have to cover this week? I think we've covered everything that we've intended to cover. I can't think of anything else that we haven't, except for the fact that I love the way the NHL schedules their playoffs with games every other night, because I would go crazy if the NHL did it the way basketball does with game one now, game two, three weeks from now, game three, another week after that. I so see. thank you, NHL, for scheduling games every other night. <laughs> well, 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Share the show widely. Um, you can always hit us with feedback. Uh, we love to hear what you're thinking, uh, what you want us to talk about. We are un- approaching that unfortunate time of season without hockey. Oh, um, so please, if you have uh, stuff you want us to discuss in the off season, uh, we do have a topic tank and we will be attacking it. Yes, hard. Because the off season is now going to be during a time where we would have a season. Which is really, really depressing. Yes. You can find Chris at... At the off wing. You can find me at Puck Sage. Have a great week. And uh, we'll be back uh, next, next Sunday.